I'd like you to, uh, <laughs> thank you, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20 today, and uh, I just want to kind of share with you some of the thoughts that I've uh, had as we have considered the birth of Christ is that this is a story that is not new to the vast majority of you. This is something you have heard many times. And you know the old saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, In other words, what we hear over and over and over again, we tend to kind of lose the significance or the awe of it. And uh, we've seen so many Christmas plays, and we've heard this story read at Christmas time and around the Christmas tree and family occasions and at church and on and on it goes. And, you know, we kind of know it by heart. Yeah, Mary and Joseph show up in Bethlehem. They have a baby. They put him in a manger. Uh, Shepherds come. Wise men come. uh, Gold and frankincense and myrrh are given. And all of these kinds of things happen. And uh, the tendency, I think, is for us to just let it kind of fade to gray. And I am really praying that as we revisit these events in the history of the birth of Christ, that God will stir our hearts freshly with the awesomeness of what's going on. Uh, This is... God coming to earth to live in our midst. Uh, I mean, it's, it's dramatic that God would come in the form of a human being so that we could see him and hear him and touch him. And yes, I know we personally have not done that. But those who write the account of the stories for us did. They saw him up close and personal. And as John put it, and I quoted last week, we beheld his glory, glory as of an only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The other thing that stands out to me about the event of the birth of Christ, if last week, viewing him as being born of a peasant couple uh, in a stable or a, a lambing area and laid in a feeding trough is not an unusual beginning for a king. Even more significant today as we consider that the announcement of his birth was not made to dignitaries and officials and the wealthy and the politically uh, higher up of his time, but the announcement was made to what were literally among the lowest strata of the culture, and really some of the youngest, to be assigned the task of watching sheep overnight uh, out in the hill country outside of Bethlehem, was a job that was given to young men who were probably between the ages of 12 and 20. 
you know, these, these were not the astute sages even of Bethlehem. These were young fellows sleeping out in the open under the stars uh, and the hill country watching flocks and making sure that they weren't attacked. Uh, this goes all the way back to David, you know, and you know how when Samuel went to the sons of Jesse to anoint a king, because God told him that there would be a king among the sons of Jesse. He said, go take your horn of oil and go to Jesse, and I will tell you who the one is that will be the king. And they went through the whole family. There were a lot of boys, and they went through the whole family. And Samuel never heard the word. This is the guy. And uh, he says to Jesse, do you have any more children? <laughs> any other sons? Well, yeah, there's David, but, you know, he's kind of a little guy in the family, and he's out with the sheep. These were the people out with the sheep. Well, bring him. Let's take a look. And God says, this is the one. And now, um, a thousand years later, this is the one, the promised son of David. The announcement comes to shepherds. If you don't take anything else away this morning, will you take this? God comes to ordinary people. The scripture says he is opposed to the proud. He has hidden the rich truths of Scripture from the wise and prudent, but revealed them unto babes. God desires to make himself known to people who are open in their heart to receive him. And he does not uh, choose the high and mighty of the earth. He chooses those uh, predominantly of humble means and circumstances because, frankly, we're most likely to pay attention. And the ones that have it all figured out and are riding the crest of the wave rarely see a need to connect with God. So realize this morning as we look at this event that God in particular wants to make himself known to you. He really wants you to get it. And so he goes to announce the birth of the Messiah to a group of shepherds on a hillside outside of Bethlehem. With that backdrop, let's uh, look at the scripture's event. Uh, turn, if you have uh, in your Bibles, to Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and follow as I read from the New American Standard text. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about the, uh, the shepherds being visited by the angels, but I guess until I started digging into the preparation for this message, the image that always came to my mind was here are these guys, you know, I, I, it's like the Christmas card. They're out on the starry night, there's stars up there, there's a couple of rolling hills, you know, and they're out there with the sheep, and all of a sudden, uh, they look up and here's, here are these angels kind of hovering sideways over them, you know, uh, with their wings and their flowing robes and they're singing and they're making this announcement. But that is not what the scripture says. There's a totally different picture that is painted by Luke of this event. They are out in the, in the hillside and it is hilly around Bethlehem, that much is for sure. And uh, they're with their sheep. At night, they would kind of bring them in and, excuse me, they would form like a sheepfold uh, out of brambles and bush or whatever, and they would kind of uh, get the sheep in there, and then they would take turns watching over the flock, some here and some there, and that's, so, so they were like that. But the scripture says that the angel of the Lord stood in front of them. So instead of him hovering up there, there is an angel that appears on their plane, on their level, on the ground, looking at them. And at the same time that this angel appears, we don't know for sure that it was Gabriel. It may be a safe assumption because he's the one who factors into all of these announcements and he is the messenger angel of the Lord. But whether it's Gabriel or not, there's this angel standing in front of them. That in and of itself is like, whoa, where did he come from? And then it says, and the glory of the Lord almost simultaneously shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. This glory of the Lord was not a bunch of angels hovering in the heavens singing. This is literally a reference to the Shekinah glory cloud of God 
that followed the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings, the pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. This is the Shekinah presence of God. These guys are suddenly looking at an angel and recognizing that they are in the presence of Almighty God. And that results in being terribly frightened. No one has ever seen the Lord in any uh, manifestation without being terribly frightened. There is this kind of shocking uh, experience of suddenly Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. That's another way of saying I am in big trouble. This is God. And this is Moses at the burning bush. This is that kind of theophany, visitation of God. The amazing thing is these guys aren't on their face. The amazing thing is they haven't heard a voice out of the glory saying, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. I think in and of itself, the, the appearance of God to these shepherds is the declaration of a new dispensation. Let's face it, from the time that the law was given through Moses in the Old Testament, throughout the whole Old Testament era, God had one message that he was trying to get across to Israel. I am a holy God. I am holy. I am righteous. I am not like you. I am wholly different from you, W-H-O. I am entirely separate. I am holy. You must approach me with reverence. You must approach me with fear. You must approach me with blood. You must approach me in trembling and contrition of your sins. I am holy. That's the message throughout the whole Old Testament that God is communicating to His people. You have sinned and I am a holy God. Now, that's not to say that there isn't relationship with God. Clearly there is. But the focus is on this aspect of his character that awakens us to our need. But now he's coming to visit us, to shepherds. And he's revealing himself. And the message is, don't be afraid. I have good news for you. It's, it's like a whole new unfolding of something different being uh, in the relationship and so the angels give their announcement or, or Gabriel the angel gives his announcement he says I bring you good news by the way that's what the word gospel means is good news one of the things this is an aside let me chase a bunny for a minute one of the things that I have been praying about uh, as I've come into this fall is ways to communicate with the up-and-coming generation of people. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the statistics are that 9 out of 10 young people, by the time they're sophomores in college, who have grown up in the church on a regular attendance basis, by the time they become sophomores in college, they leave the church 
never to return again, as far as we know, uh, because we're completely losing track of, of that particular generation. We're, we're seeing happen here what happened in England and on the continent of Europe uh, a number of decades ago as the confidence in, in the Christian life and faith dwindles. And, and really, I think it's because we're not, we're not presenting a living, a living relationship with God. I mean, who wants religion? And so something is happening there. But anyway, I've been, I've been uh, praying about um, what do we do to, to reach and communicate to a whole new generation of people. And uh, I, we have to have the same message, but we, we, we've got to put it in different language. And we've got to come up with, and the gospel is a term that simply means good news. So you're just as right if you say, I want to share with you the gospel, as you are if you say, I want to share with you some really good news. And that, this is the first gospel pro, pro, pronouncement. The angels are coming to say, I have good news. This is great news. Okay, back on the main trail now. I have great news for you. News which will be for all the people. It is very clear in the original language that that statement is intended to communicate that this is not just for the Jews, but that this message is a message for all peoples, all people groups, all kinds of people. Human beings need this good news, and I have good news, he says, which shall be for all, all peoples, for unto you is born this day... It is night, by the way. The shepherds are watching their flocks by night. But remember, in the Jewish reckoning of time, the day began with nightfall. And that goes all the way back to Genesis, because what did we learn in Genesis? After Adam and Eve were created, the first thing they did was rest, because we are supposed to dwell in the rest of God. Oh, well, another rabbit. But um, the day began with nightfall, and unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Have you read the scripture that says, The angels of heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance? And the reason for that is that Jesus defined his mission in this way. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. And whenever that mission is accomplished in one person's life, there's rejoicing in heaven. I mean, all the angels are, are just clapping and praising God and, and the, you know, the confetti's falling, I don't know. But they're, they're having this Grand celebration. And you know, when you think about it, I don't know how many people per minute, per hour, per day around the world come to faith in Jesus Christ. But there's this rejoicing that's going on. But this moment is really, really special because this is the beginning. 
This is the moment when the Savior arrives that's going to make it possible for people to be saved and come to repentance. And, and the scripture says, as soon as these words roll off the lips of the angel is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, all of a sudden the whole heavenly choir can't keep quiet any longer. They all erupt in praise, giving glory and praise to God. And the shepherd's eyes are opened. Now, in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the number of angels, it says myriads upon myriads, which is the same as saying ten thousands upon ten thousands, or ten thousands times ten thousands. You, you can do the math with the exponential notation. There's a lot of them. And all of a sudden, the shepherd's eyes are open and the heavens are filled with angelic beings who are praising God and saying glory to God and the angels understood their language they're saying glory to God in the highest because peace has come to earth among those who have found God's favor that's my translation of that very, very awkward text that occurs at the end of the verse. But this peace that has come means that God is being reconciled to human beings. It's the peace that Paul speaks of in Romans 5.1 when he says, we have obtained peace with God because the war has ended. God has bridged the gap and made possible a way of cleansing and forgiveness. And here is the announcement that once again human beings can have an intimate relationship with God. He has manifested his glory to shepherds and announced that peace has come between himself and human beings. This is a tremendous, tremendous moment. Can you imagine what it would be like to be one of those shepherds? What would this experience be? I want to give you a challenge. I, there, we're supposed to have some clear nights this week. It's getting cooler and nights get clear when they're cool. Um, I would really encourage you to pack your family in the car or friends or whatever and head north out of McHenry away from Chicago. You don't have to go far. Get, get up there towards southern Wisconsin, the state line or something uh, where you can get away from the lights and just stop somewhere it's safe. <laughs> look at the heavens. Look at the stars. Look at the sky. Imagine being out with the shepherds and suddenly having the whole heavens filled with angelic beings praising God and, and witnessing that and sensing the Shekinah presence of God all around you. And knowing that you are in the presence of God himself.
This was their experience. And then, almost as quickly as it came, it left. The stars are shining again. The heavens are black. The angels are gone. But, oh boy, the shepherds are not the same. And they said, let's go right now to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. You know, I'm going to skip down to point three for a moment and come back to point two. If you're following along, I don't want you lost. But in, in the first point of number three, I make the observation that they left the sheep. Do you know what it was for shepherds to leave the sheep? I mean, this is huge. They would die for the sheep. Jesus said that. He wasn't just talking about himself. He was saying, you know, a good shepherd, a good shepherd will give his life for the sheep. They would defend the sheep to the death. And David, you know, talked about dealing with bears and lions. They would defend a good, the sheep to the death, but they left the sheep. That in and of itself is huge. But can you imagine staying behind? Who would stay behind? I mean, draw straws, not on your life. You draw, I'm running. <laughs> you know, it would have been that kind of thing. No one is staying back. I, just the very fact that they were willing to leave the sheep points to the significance of this event and I also suspect they rather had confidence in God that he would take care of the sheep for a while and so they left the sheep and they head to Bethlehem and they want to find this baby they know where to go though this is the interesting thing I have in the course of the last several weeks read a lot of commentators on this and they all have ideas I told you about the tower of Migdal Eater or the watchtower and the lambing place in the bottom of the tower and all of that but you know the more I studied into that that was a couple of miles outside of Bethlehem and they they traveled to Bethlehem to see this child that they were told about um, and so all the commentators tried to figure out how did they know where to go you know did did they get some supernatural guidance uh, is there something in the story that we weren't told but Really, most of the ones that are truly focused in with, with faith in the Scriptures point out the fact that this is Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the place where the temple flocks are kept. Bethlehem is the place where lambs are raised with the specific purpose of being sacrificial lambs, of being the Passover lambs or the daily sacrificial lambs. Bethlehem and the shepherds there had specific places where the lambing took place, the, the birth of the lambs and the inspection by the priest and the preparation uh, as they discovered the flawless ones and set them aside to be nurtured and cared for to meet the criteria of the first male lamb to open the womb without spot or blemish and the agreement is that the shepherds knew where that place was because that's where Mary was 
there is congruence between the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and the lambs who were born in the daily sacrifice pointing to him. And these shepherds knew where to find him. And they go to this place and they find the child. The other thing that um, strikes me as interesting is that virtually from the beginning, Jesus is the Savior for the world. You ladies that have had uh, children you've given birth, you know the last thing you want is a bunch of men showing up in your room within a couple hours of birth. Okay? One time in my entire pastoral ministry, I made the mistake of showing up to visit someone during labor. I've never made that mistake again. Um, that's not welcome. <laughs> no matter how polite you can be in the midst of labor, that is not welcome. And um, Mary and Joseph have just given, Mary's given birth. Joseph has been there to help, but Mary's given birth. And within hours, shepherds out of the field show up to visit. And I wonder if for Mary this really is the dawning awareness that even though this is her baby, this is really not her baby. This baby belongs to the world. This baby is for the world. And from the very beginning, he is the one for all people. He is accessible to shepherds and later to wise men and kings. He is the one appointed for them. And the scripture says, and I'll go back to this in point two in just a second, but the scripture says, as soon as the angels saw this baby, they started talking about what they had heard. And the whole town started hearing about it. Now, there's no indication by Luke that it occurred right in that moment. They started talking about it, and everybody started hearing about it. You know how those things go. They build and they develop. But what was the message they were given? The message the angels gave is, among other things, this is Messiah. This is, this is the one we have been waiting for. We frequently uh, have a folk who uh, ask prayer for our nation in the first service, and um, a lot of people are very concerned about the condition of our country. Most of the time that means the economy, uh, or it, it means the moral decline, or it means uh, the situation that we have abroad. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it in relation to this message and the hope of the Jews in Israel for Messiah. You know, no matter how bad it gets or, or what we don't like, every few years we get to have an election. And um, we can just start over, sort of. 
we can elect somebody else. Every eight years, if it's the president, he's got to vacate. You know, so <laughs> you know, and you and you have to begin again. And we have that opportunity locally. We have it statewide. We have it nationally. Uh, and we have, despite our frustration and difficulties and challenges, we are still the wealthiest, most economically uh, satisfying nation on the planet. I was talking uh, yesterday about health care and the cost of health care. And, you know, I was talking about what would it be if you didn't have any kind of health insurance and uh, you know, and some people understand what that would be like, but how many people could afford, you know, major medical intervention, big surgeries and all that kind of stuff? Who has three, four, five hundred thousand dollars laying around in the bank they could just write a check for if they had to pay retail cost out of pocket for major medical kinds of things? Who, who has that kind of money? And the reality is, is that only about 1% of our population are in a category that would have that much liquid cash that they could just write checks for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the point was made that the poorest in our country are among the 1% in the world in terms of wealth. There are people around the world by the millions, by the billions, whose annual income is less than the minimum wage income of a worker here for a week. Their whole yearly salary is less than $150 or $200 for a year. For a family. We just can't think in those terms. I'm telling you that because the Jews are living under Roman domination. They have no elections. They have no hope. They have no opportunity for advancement. They are not citizens. They cannot move up in the culture. They can't even move up in their own culture. You know, if we're shepherds, we hope that we can stockpile enough money to send our kids to college so they can be engineers. But if you're a shepherd in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, in the first century... Your kids are going to be shepherds, and their kids are going to be shepherds, and their kids are going to be shepherds for generations, because you don't break class. You never get out of your poverty. Your opportunities never change. There's nowhere to go. There will be no elections. You're at the mercy of the Caesars. You have no choice And you're oppressed. And you're not free. And they heard the prophets and they heard the glory days of Israel and Solomon's magnificence and David's kingdom. And 
you know, they looked back and they listened to all the things they had been told in their scriptures, which they heard week by week in the synagogues. And they said, when will the deliverer come? When are we going to get a break? When are we going to get out of this? When are we going to have a chance? When are the oppressors going to be put down? When are we going to rise back in prominence? When will our king come that, that will fulfill the ancient prophecies? When do we get out of here? When Messiah comes. Hamashiach. This is our hope. And now these shepherds are saying, this is the one. Wow. The news is going all over the place. Messiah has been born. A little strange circumstances, but Messiah has been born. Mary, the scripture says, pondered these things. I wonder if this isn't where kind of it began with her, what Simeon says in the passage we'll be going to next. And your own heart will be pierced with many pangs. You know, to realize that this is my baby, but this is not my baby. Uh, from the very beginning, this child is destined for the world. And I'm losing control right now. I'm not going to be able to hold this one for myself. And all throughout her life, through Jesus' life, he's moving away, reaching out. Uh, even to that very poignant moment in the Gospels when she comes with his brothers and he says, Who are my mother? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? You who follow me, you are. Uh, that had to hurt in certain ways. Not that he meant to hurt her, but to make clear those who follow me are my real family. And fortunately we have evidence that they did later. So who is this child? Well, the angel said, unto you is born this day. By the way, did you notice the memory verse in the lower right corner? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Hamashiach Adonai. I had a friend ask me not, uh, not too long back, is there any place in the New Testament, he, he is a doubter, and he's looking for reason to discredit the deity of Christ. So he said, is there any place in the New Testament where Jesus actually comes out and says, I am God? And that phrase does not occur anywhere in the New Testament. Um, there's nowhere where he says that. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's pretty close to saying I am God. Uh, but there's nowhere that he actually says it in those precise words. However, 
there is an abundance of Scripture that if you are aware of their understanding and, and their expectation, when you put things together, there can be no question as to the meaning of it. And when the angel puts these three titles together, there can be no question as to the identity of this one. First of all, he is Savior. Savior means the healer, the one who restores. This is not just talking about political uh, freedom. This is talking about total wholeness of my being. I'm broken. Here's one who's going to fix me. Here's one who's going to heal me and restore me and cleanse me and bring me back into right relationship with God. I need a Savior. And furthermore, this Savior is Hamashiach Adonai. He is Christ, the Messiah, who is Lord. And in the context and of, throughout the Old Testament, the one who will come and reign in righteousness, Jehovah said Kenu, Messiah was often used to describe the king. It means literally the anointed one. But of his kingdom, it will be a reign of righteousness for which there will be no end. Kings die. But this king will not die. His reign of righteousness will never end. And furthermore, he is Lord. He is Adonai. He is God. There is no doubt in my mind, based on all of the Old Testament prophecy, and putting it all together in these three titles, that the angel clearly meant to identify this child, born in Bethlehem, laying in a manger, that this one, is the Savior, Messiah, God Almighty, come in human flesh to dwell among us. No doubt whatsoever. I don't know if we can even begin to imagine what the shepherds must have felt to be told that there was a baby in Bethlehem and they could go see him right now, who is the long-awaited Messiah, but also... Jehovah God, Jehovah said Kenu, the Lord who has come to earth to be the king in the throne of David in his dynasty that would have no end. And they can go and take a look right this moment. Amazing. God has come to earth to live with us and to begin a kingdom that will never end. Father, I want to pray this morning that you would take that which has become so familiar and cause us to hear it freshly this morning, as if for the first time, and with the shepherds be stunned and awestruck at the majesty and glory of this moment. But Lord Jesus, you did not count it robbery to be equal with God, but you were willing to leave your heavenly throne and come to this earth and take 
our humanity and live among us and die for us that we could have peace with God. And we give you all the praise we can offer today in gratitude for your advent. Amen.